0: This is Veasan's College Football Betting Podcast. Welcome in, everyone! Another edition of the Veasan College Football Betting Podcast. As we always remind you, you can let some people know as the numbers continue to rise, and we love it. Uh, you can rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. It is a Tuesday morning. So that means the one and only Adam Burke is here with his latest power ratings. We'll do some letdown spots. And today, I think we're going to look, uh, because there were a lot of early movement in 24 hours from the Circa openers. We will get to that. And I do have a question to uh, to wrap up the pod. Uh, and hopefully we can will this team to six wins. But Adam, first and foremost, how are you, sir? Getting closer to maxion, by the way. We are. We're getting close. I believe my
1: action starts next week. Yeah, I want to say the first week in November here uh, up is down and east is west for me this season in the sense that I've not done well in college football and done well in the NFL. So <laughs> been a little bit strange. But you know, look, the thing about college football, and, and we'll talk about this as we go along here, uh, there were a lot of teams in the group of five that started quarterbacks that weren't expected to start, had guys that were injured that maybe some people got some information on, maybe some people didn't. That made it pretty hard to adjust my power ratings here for this week. Yeah, and
0: let's get to it. Adam's Stock Report. And as we always do, we like to be positive, so we'll start with a little Stock Up. And Adam, we will go to uh, the Bayou Bengals. I was uh, one of my correct picks. I had two selections on vsyn.com and thankfully LSU, after trailing 14 to nothing, was able to turn it around and absolutely dominate Ole Miss as uh, I felt like Ole Miss was a, a little... Uh, overinflated. The market reflected that too, a top 10 team catching points against an unranked team. But LSU takes care of business. So moving forward now, a bye week for LSU. And then, as announced on Monday, a night game at Death Valley welcoming in Alabama in the first weekend of November. Yeah, I've
1: been really, really impressed with LSU here throughout the course of the season. Obviously, Brian Kelly did a really good job getting Jaden Daniels to come in because he's played very dynamic at the quarterback position and look, they got blown up by Tennessee. It is what it is. And they didn't look all that good in their first week game against Florida state, but their last two wins have been very, very impressive. So I give them a four point bump here this week where, you know, I think that kind of what you want to look for at this time of the year, since we're more than halfway through the season is you want to look at a trend line for a team, how they're progressing, particularly a team with a first year head coach in Brian Kelly. It's not his first time as a head coach, obviously, but, They are progressing in a very, very positive way. I had to reflect that with a four-point move up on them.
0: Yeah, it has been uh, interesting to see, and you just wonder if LSU is able to pull out that week one victory in New Orleans. You know, what are we thinking of this LSU team? And as crazy as it sounds, they do technically control their own path here to uh, to the SEC title. Obviously, they do have to play Alabama here, uh, coming up in uh, in a week. Yeah, I will say this I'm curious what that line will be. CBS already utilized its its evening game. It was on the Texas AM and Alabama game. So they had to use the 330 selection on at Georgia Tennessee, which makes a ton of sense. that's you know arguably the biggest game of the college football season to date, which will be next week. So that allowed ESPN to slip in here and get LSU to play a night game. And what an advantage that is for LSU. And I know we're still weeks away from this game, but you know it really works to their benefit, Adam, that because of just how it all played out, they still get to have a night game against Alabama.
1: Yeah, so my number, if I go with what I've been using for LSU's home field advantage all season long, my number here is Alabama minus six. Ooh. So... We'll see what this number actually looks like. And I feel like, you know, maybe a night game in Death Valley maybe worth an extra point. I give them two and a half points for home field advantage in a general sense. Maybe if I go up to three and a half, Alabama minus five would be my number. Uh we'll see what it looks like. I I that to me that sounds pretty good since that's what I have in my power ratings. But what what do you think about yeah. five or six kind of being I, the number there? I
0: think that's gonna be under I think it's gonna be under a touchdown, and I I would imagine. That the public will be tantalized by anything under a touchdown in favor of the uh, of the Alabama Crimson Tide. Uh, they played well over the weekend, beating Mississippi State in a bounce back spot. How about this? Alabama, since Mike Leach has gotten to Mississippi State, has outscored the Bulldogs 120 to 15. It has been domination, and uh, we will see. It's not like uh, Brian Kelly had much success against Nick Saban in his time at Notre Dame. They did get that backdoor cover, though, in the college football playoff just a couple of years ago. So, yeah, I would think it would be underneath a touchdown. Obviously, nothing's going to change this week. Both of those teams are off. A team that is not off this weekend and coming off of what I think could be a potential letdown spot is Syracuse. They cover the number. I mentioned LSU, a winner for me. Syracuse was a loser because I was on Clemson in this spot. I wasn't buying in on Syracuse. And I'll be honest— I don't know if I'm fully buying in on Syracuse still, but I certainly was impressed uh, that they were able to hang with and have an opportunity to beat Clemson, albeit the numbers maybe, uh, I would say the final score may be a little bit misleading. But that all being said, Adam, they went into de- uh, Clemson, another Death Valley, hung in there, led at half, led going into the fourth quarter, ultimately lost 27-21. to 21. So what did you do with the Qs?
1: Yeah, I actually moved Syracuse up four points and, and it wasn't so much about the performance against Clemson. It was more about the fact that I've kind of been lagging on this team a little bit because from an advanced metrics standpoint, they're really not viewed in as high of regard as their ranking and, and as the market kind of shows them to be. But then again, you look at them and they're plus 1.76 yards per play on the season. They're top 15 in yards per play allowed on defense. They're top 30 in yards per play gained on offense. Maybe I've been underestimating them a little bit. And also, I kind of went through and I was looking at my line for this game with Notre Dame and Syracuse, and I had Notre Dame a road favorite and a pretty decent one at that. And I thought, well, you know, sorry to say this, Tim, I thought that can't be right. <laughs> that, that just can't be right with the direction the of where these two teams are going. <laughs> and now this one's all the way out to three. I mean, I only have this game lined at, I believe, Syracuse minus one and a half. So... I think at three, we're we're getting a little bit high. I'd be curious to see if three is the stopping
0: point, or if we get to three and a half here. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk about the movement in the market. We'll also talk about Notre Dame here on the other side in the negativity, but we keep it rolling positively, staying in the Power Five. Uh, guns up, Texas Tech. A obliteration of West Virginia over the weekend. The Big 12, man, and I want to get to Kansas a little bit later on if the Jayhawks, which were the talk of college football, will even make a bowl game this year because the schedule is not ideal for them. But everywhere you look in the Big 12, someone's pretty pretty solid, maybe outside of West Virginia, and Texas Tech took it out on them. So what have you done with the Red Raiders here after a, uh, a just obliteration of uh, of West Virginia?
1: Yeah, I moved Texas Tech up four points here. And and this is another one, though, where I think market and reality may be a little bit different because this is a Texas Tech team that's still 83rd in the country in yards per play on offense with 5.6. On defense, they've allowed 5.37. So they're only plus 0.23 in yards per play. So maybe I'm overvaluing them. Maybe I jumped them up a little bit too much here but I think this offense is really starting to get going you had a first year offensive coordinator in Zach Kitley, who was of course at Western Kentucky last year, they've gone through three different starting quarterbacks already here so far, but Baron Morton played really well last week. And it feels like in Lubbock, things are going in the right direction. They're trending positively. This is a pretty good coaching staff where the coordinators are the guys that run the ship. The head coach, Joey McGuire is the guy that is the chief recruiter, very, very deep recruiting ties in the state of Texas. So, They're moving in a positive direction. Maybe I'm too high on them now, but I'd rather be a little bit high
0: on this team than be low on them. You can check out Adam's updated power ratings each and every Monday morning on vSyn.com. We won't go through all of the teams, but I do love that you will do a deep dive, not on just the power five teams, but you'll go into the group of five teams and the teams that nobody wants to talk about. So I'm going to give some shouts to Florida international because they went on the road as a, two touchdown underdog and hammered Charlotte led to Charlotte ultimately firing their head coach. Will Healy once upon a time was a, a hot name. So FIU is is a bit of a riser. So this is your off the radar riser. Uh, You've upgraded FIU, who was kind of the joke and the butt of every joke in college football here to
1: start the season. Yeah. So I moved FIU up three and a half points. and, And I think Mike McIntyre is just doing a hell of a job. I mean, you think about what he did, uh, at San Jose State, really building up that program. you know, wound up getting a quarterback drafted and uh, David fails. You know, that's just a situation where maybe this guy is just kind of a program whisperer. He just sort of goes in and fixes things because FIU was a dumpster fire last year, not even just on the field, but off the field as well. You know, Butch Davis talked about how the athletic department they wouldn't like pads, if, right? Yeah they, yeah, they were reusing jerseys. They were using tattered jerseys, the, the pad thing. Uh, you know, they weren't they wouldn't give any of his assistant coaches raises. It was a very public uh, divorce between Butch Davis and, and the rest of the team and the uh, university there. But they bring in McIntyre, who, look, you have to be a special kind of head coach to want to take that job. And he's done a really, really good job with this Panthers team. So. I bumped them up three and a half points and, and gave them some
0: respect, and it may not be the last time I bump them up. Well, uh, just to, to put this into perspective for for folks wondering, well, well, where does he have them? You know, among all of the teams, I believe you still have them third worst in the country. 129th, yeah. yeah. And uh, Hawaii also the, got a little bit of a bump too. So uh, the bar was low <laughs> for FIU, very low. You know, you're, as long as your stock is ticking up and you got a coach fired, so uh, hey, well done there, FIU. All right, from stock up, we go to stock down. Stock down. All right, we'll start with a team where I believe there was a uh, a national pundit who will re- uh, remain nameless, may have won a Heisman Trophy one time for Michigan, um, who said this team would be going to the college football playoff. Texas A&M, can't buy him out, man. 85 million strong. He's going to be coaching there next year. But what do we do with the Aggies, who yet again lost as they went on the road to South Carolina and you know Shane Beamer doing a pretty good job there uh, as the head coach of the Gamecocks back in the top 25.
1: Yeah so I dropped Texas A&M five points they were one of the biggest drops for me this week along with Charlotte who as you mentioned already fired their head coach Will Healy but Texas A&M there's a lot of talent here being squandered and recruiting is probably what 60 to 70 percent of the battle in college football if not more but you also have to be able to put that talent in a position to succeed. And Jimbo Fisher's absolutely not doing that right now in College Station. I had this line, Texas A&M minus six. They obviously lose the game outright by six. The line was around three throughout the course of the week. So I was going to have to move Texas A&M down anyway. But the fact that they lost, I wound up giving them a couple more points of a decrease here. One thing I will say, not that we're talking about South Carolina, but ran back the opening kick for a touchdown. They've had punt blocks. They've had all kinds of special teams plays. When you look at them offensively and you look specifically at what Spencer Rattler has done this season, South Carolina is not a very good team to be ranked in the top 25. Apologies to my wife who I'm sure doesn't listen to this show, but (laughs) she's from the Columbia area. I've become a South Carolina fan. Uh, I will be looking to fade this team very soon. I don't know if I'm going to fade them against Missouri this week, but I'm looking to fade the Gamecocks who I'm glad they're in the top 25. That's awesome for the program. I have them ranked 42nd in my power ratings. Uh, they are not as good of a team as what they've shown, which is
0: another reason why I moved Texas A&M down so much. Yeah, it'll be uh, an interesting spot this weekend. Night game, College Station, Ole Miss coming off the loss to LSU, facing Texas A&M right now. Ole Miss a two and a half point favorite. Uh, that'll be uh, that'll be an interesting game to uh, to keep an eye on. All right, let's go to a team that had. Uh, Maybe not as much hype as Texas A&M coming into the year, but there was a lot down in South Beach. You bring in Mario Cristobal, you got the guy, the guy who can recruit the area. He's going to bring in the talent. May well happen. They go out, they get Josh Gaddis to be their offensive coordinator. They've got a thought-to-be pro quarterback, and they just got hammered at home against Duke. I would say Miami has to be one of the biggest disappointments in college football this year. They're sitting at three and four right now. Um, you know, losses this year to Texas A&M, which, you know, I guess you kind of shrug on that one. Middle Tennessee beat them good. North Carolina, and then losing by 24 to Duke. You know, props to Mike Elko, what he's done in his first year as the head coach of Duke, who will more than likely head to a bowl game. And I was on Duke a couple of weeks ago, and that was an unfortunate situation not to be able to... Uh, to get that one home against UNC, at least as a, as an outright win. I think they did cover ultimately, but what do you do with the Canes? Because they have just continued to disappoint.
1: Yeah. Disappointing is, is kind of an understatement for where this team's at right now. And I'll say this, this is just an adjustment to them. This does not take into account that Tyler Van Dyke could be out for a little while. I do have a note in my power ratings article about an additional adjustment of five points. If Van Dyke is out. So I already moved down Miami four and a half points. They had eight turnovers in that loss against Duke. So, again, yeah, maybe a little bit of a misleading box score, but that's the thing about this team. They just don't pay attention to the details. They haven't all year long. And and for Mario Cristobal here, so he comes out in his, his media availability today and mentions that Oregon was four and eight when he took over the Ducks. Now, the Ducks, of course, when Cristobal took over the four and eight team, they had won at least ten they had won at least nine games pretty much every year for a decade prior, including several double digit seasons. So I don't know if this guy's just delusional or what, but this may be another example of good recruiter, bad coach. And Miami is just not responding to whatever he's trying to sell down there.
0: Well, there's no love loss in Eugene now that Dan Lanning seems to have figured things out there in his early stint as the head coach of Oregon and By the way, how good did they look? Ooh. Buddy. Yeah, they looked real good. And uh, there were some big-time recruits in the stands, uh, one being committed to Notre Dame. This isn't a recruiting podcast, but I'm terrified uh, about the situation uh, with that uh, with that particular recruit. Speaking of Notre Dame, uh, they continue to be that shoulder shrug emoji because I don't think anybody can fully figure them out. Uh, I tweeted this out. When they are a favorite of a touchdown or more this year, Adam, they are 0-4 against the spread, 2-2 straight up. They did not cover this past weekend as a 26-and-a-half-point favorite against UNLV, but as a underdog or as a favorite of less than a touchdown, they're 3-0 ATS and 2-1 straight up. They are a slight underdog against Syracuse. Once again, we'll mention that game a little bit later. But a 44-21 win over UNLV, but really, uh, I watched the whole game because I'm just a crazy fan. It was not pretty. It really wasn't. They had a couple block punts, which were nice. Eventually they leaned on the running game at the end of the game, but uh, I'm curious what you did in your power ratings with the Irish uh, moving forward after a, a win and I guess comfortable win, but really wasn't all that pretty to watch.
1: No, I mean, this is, this has been a moving target for me and, and there are always a handful of teams every single year, probably 10 to 15 where I just, I can't get a handle on them. I just week after week, I don't know what to do with them. I'm moving them up. I'm moving them down. Some of it is results based. Some of it is what we talked about a few weeks ago, where it looked like the offensive line was getting it going. The running game was getting it going. They were progressing in the right direction. And all of that has seemingly gone away. You know, you lose to Stanford in a big favorite role a couple of weeks ago, a Stanford team that barely beat Arizona state uh, here this past week. So I dropped Notre Dame spot. I dropped Notre Dame down four points. I, I just, I don't really know what to do with this team, but as I mentioned, You know, I had a scenario where Notre Dame was a road favorite against Syracuse and a pretty decent one at that, and I said, that can't be right. So I'm either wrong on one of these teams or both of these teams. I just assumed I was wrong on both of them. So, you know, big adjustments to both Syracuse and Notre Dame this week.
0: Well, you mentioned Notre Dame being a favorite. DraftKings line last week in this game was Notre Dame minus one. Circa actually opened on Sunday morning. Notre Dame minus two. That number was gone in a blink and as we sit here right now, it is Notre Dame catching three. So that is a five point move. And I want to get into some of those line moves here, but I don't know what to do with this game because I mentioned, you know, Syracuse, impressive. Robert and I coming in as the offensive coordinator. Defense has certainly improved. But let's look at that Clemson game. You know, in the second half, they had 45 yards, Adam, on their first six drives of the second half. Then they had 45 on the final drive, which ended with an interception. They were plus four in turnover margin, I guess plus three, because they threw a pick at the very end. They had a scoop and score, go 90 plus yards. So uh, this isn't a knock on Syracuse, but you know they pro- they should have lost to Purdue. Uh, you look at the postgame win expectancy, I think it was like 18% there. Very fortunate to beat UVA, but it's not like Notre Dame is anything to write home about. So uh, you know this is a very intriguing game to me. And, you know, you look at – I would imagine the early thought and consensus is that Syracuse is just going to run away and hide in this game, and I just – I'm not so sure because I think at the end of the day, the talent on Notre Dame probably outweighs the talent on Syracuse, but the quarterback situation is what's holding me back because Drew Pine, week after week, continues to miss wide open guys. And, look, everybody in South Bend and all the fans and all the message boards want Tommy Reese, the offense coordinator, fired. I'm like – I don't know what he could do. There's dudes running wide open all over the place, and and you've got a quarterback who, you know, let's be honest, probably shouldn't be a starter in a power five, in a shouldn't be a starter in a power five role, and probably should be more of a mid major quarterback in Drew Pine. Yeah, and and that's you know a big part of it is, and, and also that not even just the
1: the performance of Drew Pine, but also they don't really want him to throw the football much. You look at his pass attempts on a weekly basis, and they're kind of like. You know, we, we don't really want the ball in your hands.
0: And and that's what Stanford did, though. Stanford said, you have to beat us. Right. We're going to load the box. Notre Dame struggled to run. And when it comes down to him making plays, look, the good thing for him is that he has an All-American and Michael Mayer to throw the ball to and makes Houdini catches. But he is tunnel vision on Michael Mayer every time he drops back. So we'll see what happens at the Carrier Dome. I think the noon start works to Notre Dame's advantage, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, Syracuse coming off of a a close and kind of gutting loss to Clemson, I think also works to their advantage. So we'll see how it plays out on Saturday. Uh, but I do think three is getting a little high uh, in regards to that game uh, on Saturday. What about under 47? Yeah, that I could be talked into. That I could certainly be talked into. Because, I mean, Syracuse is going to do the exact same thing, right? Yeah, They're going to
1: go, no, Drew Pine has to beat
0: us. Exactly. I don't care how he does it. He has to beat us. And it's, you know, if, if he does, like... Drew Pine played his best game against BYU, and, and he also played pretty well against uh, UNC. But I think that's that's what ultimately it's gonna gonna come down to. So you know more on that game on Thursday's pod with uh, with Matt Newman's. One more, uh, once again on the power ratings. Let's go a little off the beaten path. We will have Maxion starting midweek next week, so it's uh, it'll be uh, great to have that return and uh, give us a little uh, glimpse into a, a team that made me should be looking to fade in Maction, that would be the Chips.
1: Yeah, Central Michigan is a team that I dropped down, and this is another one that I I guess I really haven't had that great of a handle on them here throughout the course of the season, but they're not good on offense at all, and and this is a conference where you've got to be good on offense because there just aren't a lot of good defensive teams here in the league, and and honestly, I mean Central Michigan only allowed 5.21 yards per play. They've been one of the better defensive teams uh, in this conference, but they just can't keep up offensively, so I gave them a 4-point drop here this week and you know as you said with Maxion coming up I'm going to have to really hone in on those teams and see if I can find some good value where in reality that conference is just all over the place. You know week to week you've got one team playing their best game, one team playing their worst game. Uh the Toledo collapse against Buffalo this past weekend was really something. The Bulls scored 24 points. I think it was in the fourth quarter uh to win that game. So the MAC is uh, is tricky here because you get little glimpses, and then a lot of these teams just aren't very good, but I don't think Central Michigan's good at all. And I dropped them four points, and they're now
0: among my worst teams in the country. All right, so once again, every Monday, check it out on vcin.com. Uh Adam's updated power ratings and lines for the week. Let's get to a little letdown spots. Let down and look ahead. All right, we won't belabor the point here, but I am curious your thought. Because once I realized on Saturday, and there's nothing worse than losing, especially for us out here in Las Vegas, being in the Pacific time zone, losing a 9 a.m. bet, a lot of fun. Um, But once I realized that Clemson, minus 13 and a half, wasn't coming home, I immediately put on my Notre Dame hat and said, please, Syracuse, win this game because there will be no bigger letdown spot. College game day was rumored to maybe be heading to Syracuse if they had won that game. So now they don't win. They blow the lead. But is there still going to be a little bit of a letdown factor for this Syracuse team knowing that they had an opportunity to beat Clemson, win the division, essentially, or put themselves in a great spot to win that division, and now they lose that game? Quick turnaround, noon start. Notre Dame is a, is a big brand, but they're not top 25. really haven't played all that well. You do get the ABC bump, but I'm curious, do you think this is a little bit of a letdown spot for Syracuse?
1: I think it's a possibility, but at the same time, I mean, while Syracuse had a great chance to win that game, they were outgained by 160 yards there, plus three in turnover margin. It's not like they played well. But players don't think that way.
0: No, but I think if you're Dino they have Babers. They had the ball driving in the fourth quarter with a chance to win the game. I totally agree with you, and that's why I think the movement in this line is It seems to be a little bit much. And I'm not saying that Notre Dame is a great team, but they did go to UNC. They've actually fared quite well away from South Bend, right? Ohio State they covered. North Carolina they won and covered. And then BYU in Vegas they won and covered. So there's something about being away from South Bend that they've played much better so far this year. So we'll see if that continues. But I do think this is just, could it be a sleepy start? We'll see. I mean sometimes you see teams instead of, you know, being let down after a close off, they're mad and they, they come out and they, they take care of business, which is very well possible here, you know, for Syracuse. Yeah, for sure.
1: I mean, look, again, like you said, players probably don't think that way, but at least for Dino Babers, you can kind of keep that team a, a little more grounded. Look, the last time Syracuse beat Notre Dame 2008, 24, 23 in South Bend, Ugh. they played 2014, 16, 18, 20, all pretty easy wins for Notre Dame. So, That's something Dino Babers can kind of look at and say, look, I mean, you know, it's only a four-game sample, but we haven't beaten this team since 2008. You guys have the chance to do something really special here against a team that has honestly beaten you up over the last four meetings. They lost by 24, 33, 17, and 16. So none of the games have been close. So I feel like for Dino Babers and that coaching staff,
0: that's their selling point here for this one. I try to burn the 2008 Syracuse win out of my brain. Uh, That was horrible. All right, moving forward. TCU, I tried to fade him this past week, and uh, unfortunately, A.G. Martinez goes out with an injury. Will Howard comes in. He's balling. We're up 28-10, to and somehow, someway, TCU scores 28 straight points, and I don't get the cover, and TCU wins again. I said if TCU beat K-State, this would be a spot to look to fade him. Let me point it out. It's a noon local kick in West Virginia. You've played SMU, Oklahoma, Kansas with college game day. Oklahoma State double overtime and then came back from 18 down to win against Kansas State. Five straight weeks, no week off. Now you got to travel to West Virginia. West Virginia's not very good. They just got absolutely destroyed by Texas Tech. The line's kind of telling you something here. It's only seven and a half or eight. I think this is a tricky spot for TCU against West Virginia.
1: Yeah, and we've seen some market movement here. We're recording this on Monday. We've seen some market movement up to 7.5 and and even an 8 right here as we're recording at Circa. So I took the 8. I I just had a principle. I took the (laughs) 8. So here's the thing. My line here is TCU minus Mm 11.5. So how much should you let a spot dictate your handicap when you have this game clearly into double digits as I do And I looked at this game when the the openers came out on Sunday and, and looked at TCU minus seven and thought, okay, I know this is a horrific spot for them, but at the same time, West Virginia is a team that's given up over six yards per play. They're one of the worst red zone defenses in the country. They're 126th in touchdown percentage against in the red zone. Are they actually going to stop TCU in this game? I think the only team that can stop TCU here is themselves, which is part of that situational spot angle. So I I can't do it. I know we talked about it last week. We talked about that being kind of the the ultimate look at or the ultimate letdown spot for TCU. I can't take West Virginia here. That the spot just doesn't have enough pull to me to be able to overlook the
0: fact that TCU is just dramatically better than West Virginia. TCU is really good, man. They are really, really good. But uh, this is is also can
1: it be a letdown spot when you conceivably control your own destiny for the college football playoff? Yes. In okay.
0: my opinion, I mean, okay. on the road, sleepy spot, noon local kickoff. I think so, but we will, uh, we will see. How about Oregon? Looks so good, dominant, and a massive move in the line. The market at circa opened 12. It is now at the 17 and a half. They're on the road at Cal. Uh, anyone else stay up late and with Cal plus seven and a half? Other than me, no. I'm the only one. Okay, um, but I took that, and uh, fortunately, there they were able to cover. Cal's not good, <laughs> putting it lightly but they're catching 17 and a half at home against an Oregon team coming off of just an enormous victory against UCLA college game day was there. They couldn't have looked better. And now they got to go on the road. How many people are going to be in the stands for this one on Saturday afternoon? Uh, So I think Cal could be a potential look there at catching 17 and a half against the ducks.
1: It's a lot of points. It's a big head start. And one of the things that, that I don't think I properly accounted for last week was how bad UCLA's pass defense was, particularly on balls down the field. That's something I'll have to look into a little bit more with Cal here and see if they can not give up the explosive plays. If they can force Oregon to drive the field instead of the big explosive plays, it's much easier for Cal to hang around in this game. I will say I had this line at about 18 Mm -hmm. before I made an adjustment and said, you know what? I don't think it's going to be that high, but of course here it is out there at 17 and a half. I have it 16. The thing that's challenging for me is like the spot would be the only justification for taking Cal, right? I mean, that's the only reason that you could want to take the golden bears here, but it could be a pretty big one, especially when you consider the fact that now for Oregon, you know, they're in a position where they've got that ugly, ugly loss to Georgia at the start of the year. But I mean, look, if, if they go out there and, and win the pac 12, you know, and they're a one loss team winning a major conference with a win over U- UCLA, Potentially a win over USC. We'll see if they you know, wind up being the other team here in Vegas, a win over Utah, perhaps it's going to be hard to say that anybody has a stronger resume than the ducks. So I, I, maybe this team just
0: got really good all of a sudden, but Cal, the only reason I could take them is the spot, Justin Wilcox after covering last weekend as a seven and a half point dog, once again, never, never sweat whatsoever against Washington. Um, I believe the number is 17-3, 17 and 3 as an underdog of more than a touchdown uh, out at Cal. Situationally, it's a good spot, but we'll talk about the market moves here in just a minute. Uh, they are uh, they are backing the Ducks at least as of now. Maybe we've hit the resistance point at 17 and a half. One more game. I want to mention a couple teams uh, that are on a buy. Duke's on a buy. Beat Miami. Liberty's on a buy after they uh, throttled BYU in what was their Super Bowl. Throttled is an understatement. I mean, if you look at
1: the box score for that game, I mean, I don't know if BYU just hit a wall because we've talked about them and, and their schedule and, and a lot of the difficult spots that they have. Then they go cross country to this game against Liberty,
0: who by the way is on their third string quarterback.
1: Yep. And they just try, I mean, Liberty had almost 600 yards of offense.
0: In that I game. was uh, I was trying to find information all week if Charlie Brewer was going to start, and it seemed like he wouldn't on Friday. I did bet Liberty. I don't think I gave him out officially on the pod. We talked about it. So uh, I got to go back and listen whether or not I can give myself a victory on that one. But uh, I love the situational spot there for Liberty against BYU, the importance of that game. They are on a bye this week. Uh, UTSA won in the final seconds. They're on a bye as well. Um, what about, speaking of BYU, and this will be the final uh, kind of letdown spot I want to. I've got one, too, I want right. to mention for a weeknight game, but go ahead. BYUs at home, it's a weeknight game. it's a Friday night game, all right? They're back at home. East Carolina just beat up on UCF. really impressive win. Um, there was a listener to uh, Vicent Primetime who pointed that out and uh, I think when you do bet regrets, that was one of my biggest one. I, I don't know why I didn't play ECU as a short home dog. Uh, But they won easily. Now you got to travel across country, short week, play BYU. I get it. BYU has not looked a part of what they were preseason, Adam. But I think this line is kind of telling you something. You just got your ass kicked uh, by Liberty. And yet you're still laying three here against an ECU team that looked really, really impressive with a veteran quarterback. I'm curious, ECU's mindset traveling out to elevation, short work week, I think BYU could be a side that I could talk myself into here. They're laying three right now. We'll see what the market ultimately does. But I think ECU, this could be a tricky spot for them after a really impressive win over UCF on Saturday. This is a really
1: fascinating spot. I think both ways. So not only did East Carolina beat UCF last week, they played a four-overtime game against Memphis the week prior. So they've had a couple of games here that have been really, really interesting. And now, as you said, they go play in elevation in – like the most random of scheduling spots. You're right in the middle of conference play. And then now you go out to BYU. So I can understand why it's a very tricky spot for East Carolina. That being said, I mean, for BYU, they get blown out by Liberty. As we mentioned, they get 52 points to Arkansas. They, you know, hug in there with Notre Dame, but they didn't cover against Utah State. They didn't cover and play very well against Wyoming. They got blown out by Oregon, who, of course, as we know, Oregon's a, a pretty quality team here. After this game against East Carolina, BYU plays Boise State. <laughs> Who's looking so, pretty good right now? Boise State looks really good, and yeah. that's kind of a, a quasi-rivalry game, even though those two teams aren't in the same conference anymore. So, man, I I don't know if I can take either one of these teams. I will tell you from a raw power rating standpoint, I have East Carolina minus one, yeah. but I understand why BYU is a three-point favorite here. All right, what is the uh, what is the other one that's jumping out at you weekday spot? So I know we like to talk about, you know, uh, looking at these weekday games, and I guess I could have saved this for, for the tail end of the show, but so Southern Miss, Southern Miss has had fourth quarter comebacks the last two weeks. They found out that Ty Keyes, their quarterback, was going to be out for the year. So uh, Wilkie, I think, is, is the backup's name. He winds up taking over. Last week, they beat Texas State, a very plucky Texas State team. They're much better than we've seen them the last few years, but they scored a game-winning touchdown with 32 seconds left in that game. And then now they play here on a short week against Louisiana. And Louisiana is a team that's been very disappointing here so far this season. But first-year head coach Michael DeSormo is kind of getting it going in the right direction. Southern Miss is laying a point here in Hattiesburg on Thursday night. I do not like this spot for them, but we have seen some initial money come in on Southern Miss
0: here. Well, let's get to that. And this is where we'll wrap up the show. So Southern Miss opened as a two-point underdog. And uh, on Sunday morning at Circa, it is now, they are now a one-point favorite. Uh, I am one win away from cashing over four-and-a-half wins on the Golden Eagles, so uh, let's go Golden Eagles. Let's get it on home. Let's just, I'm just going to run through some of these games, and we can kind of react to, at the end here. Uh, we've seen a five-and-a-half-point move in that Oregon-Cal game. Open Oregon 12, now is 17-and-a-half. I believe some of the hooks are gone. We talked Notre Dame-Syracuse, Notre Dame minus two, to now Syracuse minus three. Minnesota opened minus 10 and they're out to 14 and a half. My assumption there, just to interject, would be that Tanner Morgan would be available to play. That would be my guess why we saw such a big move there in a Minnesota Rutgers game.
1: Yeah, I have an 11 and a half with Morgan, but I'm also pretty low on Minnesota, who they're still number one in the country in third down conversion rate on offense. I really don't think their offense is that good. A lot of that's a byproduct of playing a very weak schedule early in the year. They're also the third best defense in terms of third down, only allowing 25%. I think they're a regression candidate in both areas. So even with Morgan coming back, I kind of like Rutgers a little bit in that game. But as you said, this is, it's really important because last week we saw Arkansas State, James Blackman didn't play. Nobody really th- saw that coming. Utah State, Cooper Legas didn't play. Um, I think they were like their fourth string quarterback. The market did react to that one. Kent State's starting quarterback didn't play. Colin Schley, Uh, They struggle with Akron throughout the day. So keep an
0: eye on the market for some of these teams with banged-up
1: quarterbacks, a la Minnesota. The market will tell
0: you if those guys are going to play or not. Well, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, because it seemed like the market was telling us Spencer Sanders wouldn't play or that he would be hindered, and I didn't see any of that. Uh, And he obviously played and was was successful in in the Oklahoma State upset win over Texas. Speaking of Oklahoma State, opened as a two-point favorite. They're now a two-point dog against Kansas State. Uh, I like suggests Adrian Martinez plays. Yeah, and I like K State here in this spot, especially if we get win that Adrian Martinez is going to play. He goes out what the first series of the game. Will Howard was playing well, and you know they were basically able to do whatever they wanted, and ultimately just kind of hit the wall. And you know for K State backers, uh, we gave that out on the Thursday pod too, so that was unfortunate, not only for our pockets but uh, for for the listeners as well. But uh, yeah, it would seem to indicate that you would see uh, the return of Adrian Martinez there against Oklahoma State.
1: Yeah, I have that one Kansas State minus four if Martinez plays. So if we see this get to three, and if, specifically if we see it
0: push through three, that's how we know yeah. Adrian Martinez is definitely playing. All right, run through a couple other ones uh, Florida State moving four points. They're now a 22 point favorite over Georgia Tech. Uh, Texas. Jeff Sims not expected to probably not play for georgia tech texas tech after their performance open as a one point dog at home to baylor and they're now a two and a half point favorite illinois open as a five point favorite they are now an eight point favorite on the road at the corn how about that think about that illinois over a touchdown favorite on the road at nebraska imagine saying that in the preseason Coastal Carolina uh, is now a dog to Marshall. That one has moved three points. Uh, flip of favorites in Cincinnati, UCF. That's kind of interesting to me. UCF coming off the ugly loss uh, to East Carolina. Cincinnati held on, was up big against SMU, did not cover. But that game opened since he two and now is UCF minus one. So kind of a that's a big, big game, obviously in the AAC. And I'm surprised to see the market backing the uh, the uh, the night so hard here in this spot.
1: Yeah, really weird game for Cincinnati last week. We saw some games that had some very big penalty discrepancies, Syracuse-Clemson being one of them, especially late in the game. Cincinnati, 14 penalties for 128 yards, SMU three for 30, but SMU only 259 yards of offense in that game. Cincinnati outgained them by 140 yards. That game probably shouldn't have been as close as it was. And usually when you see box scores like that that are a little bit misleading, you tend to see money come in on the team that maybe deserved a better fate, which would have been Cincinnati. But as you mentioned, now we're seeing UCF take money coming off of arguably
0: their worst performance of the year. Uh, Rice uh, is laying 16 and a half. Why do I bring that up? Because Charlotte fired their coach. So that moved uh, two and a half points. So those were some of your biggest movers. We did see the total in Minnesota. No, it was uh, Iowa and... I believe, yeah, Iowa Northwestern moved from thirty-one and a half to thirty-six. <laughs> thirty-one and a half was the opener on uh, on Iowa and Northwestern. Uh, you ready? You want to lay eleven and a half with Iowa? I mean, I I have it fourteen, but again, I think
1: it's important <laughs> from a raw power rating standpoint to understand that when you have a total in the mid thirties, you probably want to regress your power rating line a little bit because uh, obviously fourteen with a total of thirty-five with a total of thirty-one originally.
0: Uh, is, is quite a big number. Iowa did get that magical cover and under against Nevada earlier this year. The it's game true. that went on for, you know, 11 hours. I want to end on this uh, thought here with you. So, You're right. We can't end on Iowa football. No, we're not. So Notre Dame opens two and Syracuse is now three. Cal opens 12. Oregon is now 17 and a half. I'm curious your thoughts on market moves because more often than not, we know it's it's people that with respected money that are moving the market, right? So, look, I, 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 rest, I am confident in my opinion I don't move lines. But, you know, people that we respect do move lines from time to time. Do you, though, sometimes when a line is moved like five points, do you say, you know what, the folks at Circus Sports are pretty darn smart too, do you trust the odds makers sometimes too? And maybe this has moved a little bit too much. It's it's kind of an interesting dance because I feel like preseason, there might be some inside information from training camps and whatnot. But here we are in late October and I'm curious your kind of thoughts on, it's almost like, who do you trust in this spot? Do you trust the people who are moving these markets or do you p- trust the person who's setting the markets?
1: Well, look, it, it's, it's something where, you know, you want to get to the right number as quickly as you can. So if you're getting one-way action, specifically here at Circa, when they open up the market on Sundays, if you're getting one-way action, you are going to be a lot more aggressive with that move. So I don't think that there's really too much that you want to read into maybe a five-point move right away on a Sunday after the global openers start coming out because other books will start opening. You know, you'll kind of see some copycat action across the market, stuff like that. Um, Look, I think that you you if you're on that side of the counter you want to respect the smart people that you know are betting into you and you also want to try and trust your own number but your number isn't the one that decides your bottom line for the most part it's going to be whatever the betting market does so i think that you know there will be times where the the number from the book is right there will be times where the move is right and i think that you know you just try to hope that if you're on that side of the counter if you're the one setting the number you hope that you can get there to the correct number as quickly as possible
0: The story of college football, and boy, did it get people mad at me when I faded them early on, was the Kansas Jayhawks. They lost again this weekend. They did not cover. First time they didn't cover the closing number because the market had moved against them so aggressively. Uh, We were able to get there on 8.5 on Oklahoma and and 6.5 on TCU, but I did not get there on Iowa State, which was a nice win that they got and led to them getting college game day. They're 5-3 and right now. I really want the Kansas Jayhawks to get to a bowl game, Adam. I don't know if it's going to happen. Off this week, home to Oklahoma State, at Texas Tech, home to Texas, at Kansas State. Where's the win? And are the Kansas Jayhawks, who are once 5-0, and going to end 5-7? and Does Jalen Daniels come back? I think so. Seems to be that trending that way, even though the report was that he would be out for the year. He was practicing last week, I believe. It's, I mean, look, I, I have them. They're an underdog in all four games.
1: Yeah, they're a pretty clear underdog in all four games. And, and I have them, even in that game against Texas Tech, I have them getting 10 and a half now at this point. And that's, of course, if Daniels doesn't come back. If Daniels comes back, that's probably a five, six-ish point adjustment for me, for them. So Conceivably, we could say that maybe they're getting four and a half or five in Lubbock, and that would probably be their best chance, I think, at getting a win. I I sure as hell hope so, man. I mean, what a great story that they were, you know, early on in the year, and you know, Daniels gets hurt, and and it's not like Beans necessarily played bad, but their defense is so bad that they have to be firing on all cylinders offensively. If if you forced me to make a yes no bet on them making a bowl game, I would bet no. I know, but. I hope sad. they win one. I'm, I'm pulling for the Jayhawks. I maybe, know I, maybe they get the sunflower showed on against Kansas. I
0: know I've faded you three straight weeks. I'm off the fade of Kansas. I'm all in on let's get them to a bowl game. Somehow, some way. They have not been to a bowl game since 2008. So let's get the Jayhawks home. That's where we're going to wrap up uh, the podcast this week. Uh, you could follow Adam on Twitter at Skating Tripods. Once again, all of his work on VEASAN.com, the updated power ratings, his situational spots. I believe some... World Series uh, literature will be coming out
1: later this week. Yeah, my preview is just about done. I was debating if I wanted to wait until both teams fully announce their rotations. But since there's four full days off until Friday's game one, uh, seems like we should be able to figure out who's going to be pitching there. But yeah, situational spots. And then also uh sharp roundtable article, which comes out on great read, uh, by Thursdays with Brad Powers and, and some other people in the business. And then also uh, I'm going to write a piece tomorrow on, you know, We're more than halfway through the regular season. Sample sizes are pretty significant at this point in time. we to be talking about some stats that are significant outliers. Ohio State, for example, 36 for 36 scoring in the red zone so far. Probably doesn't continue. They'll keep being one of the best teams in the country. But I'm going to write about some of those statistical outliers and see if maybe we can point us in the right right direction for
0: some bets to make the rest of the way. So make sure to check that out. Also, Adam, part of the weekly write-ups that myself, Wes Reynolds, Uh, Danny Burke, a part of. So all of that stuff on VSIN.com. We'll be back in your feed on Thursday. Myself, Matt Humans, breaking down the full weekend card. But for Adam Burke, I'm Tim Murray. This has been the VSIN College Football Betting Podcast.